welcome to the Offside World WSL edition. It's me, Lindsay Hooper, here alongside Kate Forsay, and we're taking you through the week that saw a goal, goal, goal fest of 25 goals in the WSL. And a brand new appointment to the England side. And here in the studio, it's the one and only voice of reason, concern and dogs and all things academic and women's football. It's Dr. Carrie Dunn. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Now, she sounds a little bit... I'm keeping my distance. I'm, I'm over the other side She's of the studio. She's slightly got the lurgy, but the lurgy's ebbing away and we hope that we might be part of her recovery process. Not by <laughs> distributing it on. I think that's how germs work. I don't think I can just pass them on to you and then I feel better. <laughs> Carrie... Goals, 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 as Lindsay pointed out. So many of them. Do you think these gaping score lines have been coming? Of course, not just in the WSL, but the Continental Cup midweek as well. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? I mean, I, I seem to have just picked the ones that only have like one goal, which is quite depressing to actually watch. But um, I don't know. Certainly Chelsea have not been kind of letting up on the attacking. So, you know, I'm always expecting goals from them. I kind of get a little bit stressed after it gets past four goals, though. You kind of think... It's not that competitive to watch. It's, it's it's a bit embarrassing. It's a bit like kicking an injured puppy. And I don't like kicking injured puppies. Yeah, but we shouldn't deny anyone a scoreline. It is football and you should play the game for the full 90 minutes or however long the game plays out for, right? And Well, yeah. And if you're not good enough, you're not Ooh. good enough. Oh, she'd make a really harsh PE teacher. <laughs> Ouch, you really she? would. I mean, no, absolutely. I mean, you can only beat what's put in front of you, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I think when you're getting massive scorelines in kind of three or four of your handful of fixtures that you have of a weekend, yeah. there start to be some questions asked. Do we know much about attendances this weekend? Because we had the Women's Football Weekend last weekend and it was great because we saw over 75,000 turnout. Just in the matches that you went to and from what you observed, have we seen a real tail off or was there a potential uplift from that? I haven't seen the actual numbers. I think think there are about 2,000 at Arsenal, so that's pretty that's good. That's really good. Mm. Um, I haven't checked that, though, but no, I think it, you know, it, it looked solid. So, yeah, it wasn't a very nice day, though. So I think that's one of the other problems with having the winter season now. I think people are genuinely put off about standing on uncovered terraces come the winter. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. Okay, well, let's get stuck into the action then. To kick us off, we're heading to Lee Sports Village where Manchester United dominated Brighton with a 4-0 victory. Leah Galton, the standout player in this one, she scored two and set up another to ensure the victory. There were also goals from Lauren James and Katie Zellum as well. Carrie, the biggest scoreline for Manchester United so far in the WSL. How did you rate this game? They were looking very good, actually. I think Hope Powell will have been very disappointed at some of the defending that Brighton had on display. I mean, it was statuesque in the penalty area sometimes. But in terms of the way Man United were going forward, the, te- the way they were linking passes together, I mean, you mentioned in some of their star players who have been excellent uh, over the course of the season so far and made that step up to the top level. That was a good performance. They are looking a, a tidy little side. Joining us on the phone now to talk about that result is Manchester United manager Casey Stoney. Casey, thank you for joining us. Hello, how are you? Very well. I know it's the day off. You've got duties to do. But um, if we can just reflect a little bit on the weekend, first of all, uh, what were your thoughts on, on the performance this weekend? 
I thought actually it was probably one of our better performances for the season uh, in terms of a complete performance. I thought we dominated the ball, we controlled possession, uh, we limited the amount of chances on our goal. And obviously we were coming off the back of a defeat, they were coming off the back of a win. So to get back to winning ways off the back of a three-game week was really, really impressive from, from the squad. It was an exhausting week, but a 4-0 scoreline, your biggest victory so far in the WSL. What did you say to the team afterwards at full-time? Just that it's been pleasing. I think to pick yourself back up after the Chelsea game, you know, when we, we thought we should have got something out of it, to then go and win 11-1 in the Conti Cup with eight changes shows how strong our squad is, to then come back and, and score four goals. And I just thought they were they were very clinical in possession. We probably could have scored more and should have scored more. So in terms of the final third, we still need to be better. But, you know, they're growing and developing all the time and we seem to be getting a better and better every week. And that's because of the hard work they put on the training field. Can I ask you actually about Chelsea? I know that you were looking looking back on that last result, but it's been a big week for them in the news with Sam Kerr joining the club. And since then, there have been interviews with Emma Hayes talking about a possible division in the league and some clubs pulling away. And she retorted to that to Kieran Tavum at The Athletic saying that the big clubs actually pull up the rest of the league. Is that how you see it? I just want a competitive league, to be honest. And I think if if you keep... You know, I know they're talking about increasing the, the the wages and stuff like that. I think if we want a competitive league, I think you have to give the, the clubs below a little bit of a chance. But also you want the best players in the league. So it's a fine balance, isn't it, between wanting the best players, also trying to get the game sustainable, which is important. You know, we don't want the game to collapse. We still make a loss. But I do, I do think, you know, I look at the game on Sunday and, Obviously, they've got a fantastic coach in Hove and they've got great resources and a structure, but it was a, a comfortable game for us in terms of possession. And, and we go and play Chelsea, we're newly promoted and we were unlucky not to get anything. So listen, it is competitive, but I'd like it to stay that way. I wouldn't want to see teams pulling away before because that's what we had years ago when one or two teams dominated the league and no one was interested in it then. Mm. Yeah. It helps, of course, Casey, that you've got some very strong players and you've got a very strong work ethic as well. Leah Galton in the game at the weekend such you know a strong performance from her we know she came to the club after a spell in Germany that didn't work out and she took some time out of the game how important has it been to I guess manage her time in the side how do you how do you gauge that how do you work that I think for her it was just about putting a smile back on her face she'd fallen out of love with the game she didn't want to play anymore and it was about get for us to get her back in the game we knew what talent she had. It was about putting a smile back on her face, taking the pressure off, getting her to enjoy her football again. And, and all I say to her is go out and express yourself, enjoy yourself. You know, she's one of our most creative, one of our most powerful players, brilliant in 1v1. We just want to get her the ball as much as possible because we know that she can cause problems. And in terms of managing her, yes, obviously I took her off yesterday, give her a little bit of a break. But also it, it gives me an opportunity when we're comfortable to give players that are working hard deserve minutes as well. So it's a fine balance. It's a really fine balance between managing those that need minutes and managing those that, you know, you want on the pitch at the time. And, and obviously she's, she's, listen, she's, a, she's an absolute star. You know, and I, I keep saying that. I think she's, she's something that I haven't seen in the women's game before in terms of being direct and powerful and having that, that natural yeah. effort. She's got so much to her game, hasn't she? And those tight angles she seems to be able to get into. She's certainly been impressing a lot of people. Carrie, over to you. Yeah, Casey, you mentioned it was a really impressive win for you in midweek in the Conti Cup. Some other managers have been slightly critical of the competition, particularly the scheduling of it. How do you feel about it? 
Well, obviously, I, I personally think it should be a midweek fixture. I really do. I don't think it should take over the weekend. Obviously, I think the consistency of the league has to be a priority in terms of fan base. But I think it might be that on those midweek fixtures, if you have a championship club who has less resources, less funding, less money, that the likes of ourselves go to them. You know, and you also you get a bigger crowd at their grounds, and you know we we would have no objection to doing that. Um, it's difficult. Listen, the, the draw didn't fall kindly for Leicester. It fell very kindly for Liverpool, who ended up in a a group on their own in terms of a Super League team with with purely Championship. It didn't fall kindly for Leicester. It was a really really tough draw for them, and that's why it definitely should be seeded. A lot has happened since we last spoke to you for the Offside Royal exclusive, Casey. We had a nice sit-down with you up at Lee Valley Sports Centre. Uh, You've signed a new contract since then and obviously adjusting very well in the league. Is it an exciting future at Manchester United? Yeah, it is. Listen, I can't hide away from the fact that I think I'm I'm at a fantastic club. They give me full permission to do what I want and they support me to do everything I want. Um, in terms of on and off the grass, um, we've recruited fantastic characters and players. Um, I've got great staff around me, and you know I think we're doing well. You know we 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 set out for a, a top half finish, and I think we're definitely on track for that. Thanks very much for speaking to us. Enjoy the school run and all the other swimming <laughs> lessons and everything else you've got to do today. Thank you very much, and all Thank the best you. against West Ham as well Thanks, next week. Casey. Thank you. Manchester United manager Casey Stoney there. Thanks to her. Well, next up, Chelsea remain a point clear at the top of the WSL after cruising to a 6-0 win at Birmingham City. Lionesses manager Phil Neville watching on as uh, England teammates Millie Bright and Beth England were involved in three of the goals. There was a moment of excellence from G and two more to add to the tally from Drew Spence. So, Lindsay, uh, the Bright-England combination. I think that is one of my favourite goals I have ever seen in WSL. This cross-field ball from Millie bright deep in defense picks out a run from Beth England into the box but it was the touch because Beth England still had a lot to do she had a touch to bring it down control it and then straight away a shot with her left foot and what a goal that was if you haven't seen it yet it is doing the rounds on social media Mm. on different platforms like Twitter if you if you put in Millie Bright and uh, Beth England and also what was really lovely to see and I'm wondering if if Carrie noticed that as well was the way that they they all celebrated and then they ran over to each other the the appreciation for that ball from Beth yeah. she she went straight over to Millie of course different ends of the pitch so yeah. it was nice to see. Millie Bright not afraid to get into the opposition's box is she and she's um, coming up to the halfway line creating things from there as well G with the ball wide to right good run forward here by Millie Bright who's got England waiting in the middle didn't need a look how about that from the centre half what a confident finish from Millie Bright is that where she might be more comfortable, Carrie, if we're talking about you know, her as a central defender, perhaps moving her forward a little bit? Because her performance is certainly for the national side. Why, why not up front? <laughs> <laughs> well, her performances for the national side have been a little bit questionable in that centre-back pairing. They have been, but I don't think that's necessarily just her fault. I think no. there has been questionable tactics employed in, um, which have uh, not meant that she has shone. No, I think... I think a ball playing centre-half with that kind of vision is a very good thing to have. I mean, Phil Neville has hinted so many times that's what he wants and then he hasn't actually mm. picked a team that's done that. Millie Bright can do that. If she's given if she's given the the, uh, the leeway to do that, she, she can provide those kind of um, balls, that kind of distribution. So, no, I think, I think she's fine at the back if she wanted to move forward and that's something that Emma Hayes is going to consider moving her into central midfield perhaps at some point, then maybe, but... 
I don't see why she necessarily should. I touched on this with the interview with, with Casey that we've just spoken to her about this interview that Emma Hayes gave, you know, in terms of pulling the rest of the teams up and there the not being a division being created. Because let's face it, that scoreline happened without Sam Kerr. You add Sam Kerr into the mix, we could have been talking 10 11 nil. What do you think? What are your thoughts? I understand what Casey was saying about keeping it competitive and that's that's really important. But could you see a division happening? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm more with Casey on, on this than with, with Emma. I think... I think what Casey was saying is that she understands Emma's point of view, which you probably, you know, if you're at the top of the game, then that is the way that you would think. But Casey, as a player, has obviously seen how uncompetitive a league can get and how that is not actually great for the standard of football, either in terms of the clubs or the national team. Yeah, it does worry me having having the big three. It does worry me that money can get thrown around and then we're going to end up with couple of teams dominating as we had 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whether that's the same team dominating, whether it takes turns. I would like to see, you know, the first couple of years of the WSL, we had that rotation of champions. Obviously, it was a closed league, then it was early days. But in terms of competition, in terms of a spectacle, I think that was better. So do we also need to start talking salary cap and things like that? Because we have already got a huge difference. At the bottom of the WSL, we probably... We can just, I, I, th- I think we can speculate here that there's probably wages or an average wage of between 20, 30,000 at the bottom of WSL. And we've, we've got, and you're even rolling your eyes not at that, that, thinking not even that. Yeah, that. talking about bottom. Yeah, and then, and then at that professional structure, which the whole league's meant to be, you, at the very top, you've got players that apparently are on about 300,000 a year. Mm. What's that going to do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've talked about this before, but obviously when the WSL was first was first launched, there were these rules and regulations around salary caps, around distribution of the top talent, around kind of the percentage of money that was getting used on salary, that kind of thing. And only a certain number of players could earn the top whack in a club. And yes, okay, that was kind of the starting point. But it was those were the decisions made for good reasons. The FA knew that the domestic league had not been a good spectacle previously. And I completely understand that now they're saying we don't want to restrict players' earning potential. They're at the top of their earning years. We don't want to start saying, no, you can't earn that much money. I do understand that. But if we're looking at the long-term health of the game, maybe we need to think about putting some kind of ceiling on it just to ensure we have a sustainable game. Uh, let's talk about Birmingham, though. Lucy Staniforth in that team. There are some decent players there, but I think there will be them? some. Yeah, I will. I think there will be some frustrated players. Uh, Lucy Staniforth probably being one of them, especially because she wants to stay in Phil Neville's mind for, for the Lionesses and it's really difficult to do when you can't really showcase the position very well um, because she's not really getting that much time on the ball and that's just disappointing. Keris Harrop did tweet afterwards, the Birmingham City captain, that it was a very tough result to take today, she said. It's hard times at the minute but we will come through the other end. A massive positive seeing Lily Simkin making her full debut and playing superb, so well done kid. So you can see that there's some positives they're trying to take for it from new players but ultimately they didn't reinvest the money that they actually got over the summer no. they never do I mean it's happened several times with, with Birmingham they've ended up having this kind of uh, close season clear out um, they had to sell on their best players because that's you know that's the reality of life as one of the smaller clubs in the WSL and then they struggle to rebuild it's always going to be a long-term project and one of the interesting things I noticed watching it on the TV though was um, Rachel Williams there on the on the touchline kind of doing the whole senior pro thing talking to the younger players and obviously kind of taking some kind of hand in helping these 
players deal with this kind of performance, this kind of defeat? Because it must be a difficult thing for a relatively inexperienced group of players to deal with against the likes of Chelsea. On to another big scoreline, Bristol City nil, Man City 5, an attendance of just over 1,200 for this one. So whilst we're at the top, it's six wins out of seven now for Nick Cushing's side in the league and another 5-0 scoreline as well, this time past winless Bristol City. It was a brace for Paulina Bremer and Ellen White continues her goal-scoring form as well after returning from that long-term injury. So both of you, if you can just talk me through your initial reactions to this match. I just think it was very tidy from Manchester City. They look very strong up front again. Um, Tessa Willett, that's her third consecutive game, I think, that she's scored in. So she's looking good. Ellen White netted uh, for the fourth time in five matches for club and country. So you can see that they're all singing from the same sort of hymn sheet here. Two from substitute Paulina Bremer. I mean, awesome from her, all coming towards uh, the final moments of the game. And they were sandwiched around um, a Caroline Weir goal, strong left-footed drive. So... Impressive from City. They look smooth. They look slick. They're, 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 they're you know linking and joining up really nicely. Janine Becky strong down the right as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, fantastic performance from City. But I think there are also a lot of positives that Bristol City can can mm-hmm. take from this. I thought um, they played well in the first half. They did well to get in uh, at half time. Just the one goal down. They fell apart a little bit in the second. But again, I think it's one of those things, and again, we've talked about this before, is the level of fitness. The Man City players are kind of going on to like the 98th minute, whereas the Bristol City players are kind of running out of steam a little bit. And as we saw with the kind of the scoreline extending, extending, extending in those kind of last 15 minutes, I like their attitude. They were always putting themselves about. They didn't let their heads drop, even though there were so many goals down. So yeah, Bristol City fans, I think there are positives to take there too. The one thing that we should mention when we talking about these high scoring games is goal difference and what that means in the league because it could actually have a huge sway when it comes down to it so a point separates Chelsea at the top Man City in second very very tight because if you can imagine it does come down to goal difference at the moment how it stands is goal difference plus 15 for Chelsea plus 16 for Man City yeah, I think it, it it might come down to goal difference. And that's why um, Arsenal's attitude after their 1-0 win worried me a little bit. Yes. I'm thinking, have you looked at the table? Yes. Mm. You've got Chelsea and Man City putting away all these goals. And yes, OK, a 1-0 win gets you the same number of points as a 6-0 win. That plus five goal difference might make a difference. And for those thinking, well, look, Arsenal are right up there. They should be in this title race as well. If you take in goal difference, they're plus nine. So they're quite a few behind. And they're on the same points as Man City at the moment. And it's so strange because there's no reason that Arsenal should really be behind in goal difference. They've got Vivian Miedema. They've got Beth Mead. They've got Daniel van der Donk. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an odd one. It's almost like they didn't get the memo you are allowed to score goals and enjoy yourself. It isn't just a tight, needy, impact performance. It isn't all about what you have to do. It's all about what you can do and what you can push for. But um, maybe that will change when they see, because it, I mean, it, it is a huge goal difference um, between those sides. Next up, what a turnaround this was for Reading, who were away to West Ham with just 15 minutes to go, already down to 10 players. They were 2-0 down, but three goals in seven minutes from Reading. They just turned the match completely on its head and walked away with all three points. And it comes again from Williams. So dangerous again. Back across. Goal! And it's in! Amazing! Jane Moore! Right place, right time! A sensational comeback from Reading. 
West Ham must be ruined from this one. So West Ham 2, Reading 3. And you think, how on earth do you let a two-goal lead slip like that? Well, they were decent in the first half. And I think this is a, this is a huge question mark for West Ham, really. They were stunned by Reading. So Reading went down to 10 players after Rachel Rowe was sent off deep into first half injury time for a shove. And that was pretty feisty, by the way. You don't often see that in the women's game. 10 men Reading come into the second half and then suddenly with 75 minutes gone, they've scored two goals in a minute to draw level. And that, I think, just completely capitulated West Ham, who were just like, what on earth's going on here? Perhaps the player less rejuvenated Reading and they came out fighting. I think it was West Ham just not being able to handle Reading's comeback. And also Reading are are such an organised team, right, Carrie? They are set-piece specialists. And when they went against the grain, they tightened up. They fought on, but they did it in a very organised way that I think just flummoxed West Ham. I quite love Reading. I mean, they always play to their strengths. And obviously Kelly Chambers has quietly done her job really excellently over a number of years. She's in charge of, again, all football at the club from senior down to juniors without all the you know, circus carnival hullabaloo that has accompanied some of her opponents. Yeah. And so a comeback win like this, and yes, down to 10 players, often rejuvenates the side. But I think it shows the mentality that she's instilled, this kind of battle, this kind of fighting, you know, against the odds, never say die, all that kind of stuff. They don't have the same resources as some of the bigger teams, mm. but they certainly have the mentality. And maybe not the same mentality at West Ham at the moment. One win in their last five WSL matches. In your opinion, what does Matt Beard need to address first? (sighs) That's a tricky one. I mean, I've not seen enough of West Ham to want to kind of lay, lay down the law on this one. But if yesterday was any evidence... It's got to be kind of focused right to the end. You cannot be complacent at 2-0. Well, and I think it's defence as well. Both the first goal and the third goal from Reading were scrappy. There is a huge concern there. Jilly Flaherty will be frustrated with this. But that first and third goal from Reading were scrappy. There were defensive errors there. And we saw that last weekend as well, didn't we, Lynn? So I think mm. I think that, that he has to look at this defence. He has to look at why. A, they've been shot like a rabbit in headlights, but also B, why that defence is not working to a system that they can always rely on so that if they do concede a a surprise goal, that they can regroup Mm. and sort of lock down the battleships. No, I think you're right. We said this about England, though, haven't we? Mistakes breed mistakes. Once you've made one defensive error, if you've got that kind of mindset oh, we've done it again, you start to panic and that breeds another mistake and it starts to happen again and again and again and you get stuck in that rut and I wonder whether West Ham are kind of veering towards that then. And there's Friday night football coming up next, this time for Reading who take on Brighton. What do we think about Friday night football? I think as a concept, it's fine. I think we are going to start having the same problems as we do with Conti Cup fixtures, unfortunately, looking at the kickoff times and obviously sometimes location. Are people going to be able to get to some of these grounds? So if people are going to start asking, you know, where are the fans? If you've got a kind of a half past six kickoff on a Friday night, again, I think Arsenal had a six o'clock kickoff or one Friday night once and they got like 800 people, you know. You've got it's to make all it about how it's marketed, You've though, isn't to... it? Sorry to interrupt, because Friday night football, I think if it's marketed in the right way, could be a great thing to go to after work, right? It could be, but 
you know, I, I, I've said this too many times before about you've got to make it kind of an occasion. Mm. It's not always fun to and make rock it accessible travel wise, right? Exactly. It's difficult to rock up to some of these grounds that don't have great yeah. public transport links, don't have great parking. If you're going against the, if you're going into the Friday night traffic, you've got to make it accessible mm. and a decent event. Well, the attendance at the West Ham Reading game was 1,392. And I mention that because I'm going to go on to our next game now, Everton Spurs. Uh, The attendance just 150 in Southport for this one. And, well, there's a couple of things to mention here. First of all, why wasn't there some spillover from the Merseyside derby at Anfield? Because clearly a lot of fans turned out for that. Were they mainly Liverpool? or I, I, I believe there were quite a big contingency from Everton that went there. But second of all, it's this playing in Southport, isn't it? That's what it is. Because well, that, that is going to change big soon, isn't it? Because the stadium's moving. But I think that there's no excuse is there really because it's well, all very well for it's all very well moving it or can't get well, there it's all very well moving the stadium but if you're moving the stadium and there's no fans to move it to then that's then that's going to cause problems it was a third win in a row for Everton though really good result for them this one not sure quite what happened to Spurs but Lindsay I'll get you to dissect this one Willie Kirk's side got off to the ideal start when Molly Pike finished from close range but Lucy Quinn equalised um, after an error from the Everton goalkeeper Becky Spencer at the opposite end uh, also had a moment to forget she failed to collect the ball from a corner and a Philby turning into her own net. Lucy Graham fired in uh, Everton's third from 20 yards after the break. Um, but Lindsay, the scoreline could have been much worse. I think it could. I think Spurs are actually quite lucky to come away just with that two goal margin of, of losing 3-1 because it wasn't the sort of performance that we saw when we were at the North yeah. London derby last weekend where for, for some time they actually managed to contain Arsenal in that first half um, and even looked like they maybe should have been ahead at that break didn't they? Well in this they hardly even mustered any shots on target any chances mm. the one chance that came came from that mistake and we heard, we saw a couple of howlers in this game from goalkeepers which we probably want to gloss over but <laughs> I, ultimately what has happened in one week for Spurs not to put in the sort of performance that we saw the week before yeah well perhaps it's a hangover is it Carrie I mean actually Karen Hills when we spoke to her after the game didn't she intimate slightly that they'd have to work hard not to not to kind of fall below on energy levels because I think they'd, they'd really psych themselves up for that North London derby. It was a great day. Everyone left on a high despite the fact that they lost. Um, so perhaps just a, li- a little bit of game fatigue? I don't, I don't know. Energy fatigue? Maybe. It must be a bit of a culture shock coming from playing at a, <laughs> tens, tens of thousands in front of... Like, very and true. then to kind of 150 at Southport. But yeah, it was an odd performance from them. They usually set up pretty well. As you said, they did such a stout job against Arsenal last weekend and just they looked incredibly shaky but nothing taken away from Everton who are looking very solid they're nicely settled in behind the big three now mm, so and really it just said three wins on the bounce and let's pay some credit to Willie Kirk and the job he's doing at Everton they're doing much better than they they did last season already they're sat in fourth on 15 points three more than last season's total that they got of 12. To finish off, a strong attendance, maybe not the strongest of scorelines when you compare to all the others that we had this weekend, but Arsenal won, Liverpool nil. Beholders Arsenal, they could only manage this one goal, but it is still three points nonetheless. But Liverpool are bottom of the table. You were expecting more. I was. I mean, again, obviously Vicky Jepsen had set up her side to come to Meadow Park and make sure that they contained Arsenal's creativity. But you would expect Arsenal to have some plans there to combat it. They have got so many stars who should have been enjoying that stage much more than they were and it was just they never really seemed to get going and Daniela van der Donk and 
uh, Jordan Nobbs and Kim Little and, you know, all these names that you're expecting kind of all these performances from and it just never really got going from them. Okay, you look at Miedemar because she scored in this. Um, yeah, she's so actually she's actually got four goals, three assists. So she's the league's top scorer. Yeah. But that might not be enough for Arsenal if they want to win this title, had it? No, they. I think they need to unleash these goals. I think that they need to stop thinking about winning cleverly and maybe just think about all-out winning, perhaps. Joe Montemurro at the end of the game said perhaps the players were struggling with a little bit of tiredness. Uh, it doesn't get any easier for Liverpool, though, Linz, who travel to Manchester City next weekend. You're listening to the Offside Rule, WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. You're listening to the Offside Rule, WSL edition with Lindsay Hooper, Kate Borsay, and we're also joined in the studio by Carrie Dunn. On we go to a Conti Cup roundup, Kate. Yeah, in match day four of five of the Conti Cup, these are the headlines that you need to know. A week of huge scorelines. <laughs> 60 goals in 11 matches and uh, these are the biggest in increasing order. Chelsea's good scoring week started with a 5-1 thrashing of Spurs with Brighton also getting five over London Bees. There were 6-0 victories for Liverpool over Blackburn and Reading over Crystal Palace. Five of those goals uh, went to Lisa Marie Utland. We might have finished on Arsenal having a low-scoring game in the league, but they had a high-scoring one in the Conti Cup. They stuck seven past Bristol, and the honour of the biggest scoreline goes to Manchester United. We've already spoken to Casey Stoney. 11-1, they thrashed Leicester City, with Ella Toon grabbing five of them. Uh, the final roundup of group fixtures are on the 11th of December, as we await to see who will go through to the knockout stages. Phil Neville was watching at Chelsea in WSL this weekend and he had a slight smile, a bigger smile than I thought I've seen in a while, probably because of the new appointment that they've had at England. They have been hiring. Um, joining the England setup, Dawn Scott, arriving from the USWNT, the Lionesses' new performance coach. I've heard great things yeah. about this woman. Uh, enlighten me, Carrie. Well, um, she's been praised as the secret to everything by wow. some of the um, USA World Cup some winners. Billing. She's obviously considered the best in the world when it comes to strength, conditioning and high performance. Uh, she's been very forward thinking in her use of technology, uh, personalisation of training and recovery programmes. Uh, she works with players individually if the coaching team are happy for that player to manage their own workload along with her. Um, there was an interesting feature in the USA media uh, about five years ago about how she was working to minimise disruption during the uh, Women's World Cup and the multiple time zones and travel. And in that included overseeing all food intake, appointing a chef and supervising what was being cooked. So this is kind I of... I could do with this lady in my life. I don't think you really can afford her, Lynn. Sorry. <laughs> she has worked with England before, though, because she was head of sports science and exercise science, wasn't she, for England mm. women from 2001. She then joined US soccer in 2010. So nice that she's had that background, but boy, I bet things have changed since she was there the first time. Oh, absolutely. And I'd say it's a fantastic appointment. And as, you, as we say, she is the best in the world. But I guess I'm going to be a miserable carry again, kind of throwing in a bit of cynicism. We're going back to this point that we keep making. All the money and resources in the world are being thrown at this England squad now. And Phil Neville and his squad are going to have to deliver yeah. now, first they, off in the Olympics. Are they now maybe bar the USA, the most heavily funded team? Because weren't they in the in the World Cup, the most, basically, the team where the most money had been spent on them was England, was the Lionesses? They have had so much investment. They have so many people in the backroom staff. So more than like France, 60. more than Germany. As far as more I know, than, yeah. More than, more than USA? I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't so. say more than okay, USA, yeah. So I, so, I think they're, they're up there. Up there. 
And as we've been talking about Lionesses, we really should mention the fact that former Lionesses manager Mark Sampson, this is now news from the men's game, but links back to the women's, um, who's now in caretaker charge at Stevenage, has been charged with alleged use of racial language. He's got until the 6th of December to respond. For those who remember the case previously, he obviously lost his job with England for a different matter, but there had been investigations into the use of racial language concerning Eni Aluko and Drew Spence. Yeah. And we have seen Carrie a lot of players as well coming out on social media this week yeah it's it's uh it's interesting obviously there have there were questions at the time about who was supporting Enya Luko and Leanne Sanderson and Anita Asante were both very vocal in their support for Aluko and saying that what she said what she said and they believed and um, they've been very subtle in their social media use this week and it will be interesting to see whether Aluko also goes on the record now now she's coming back to London having left Juventus well in his defence Samson at the weekend said I said right at the outset that the allegation is false uh, he says he's devastated it's as simple as that this is a situation which the football club don't deserve and they have been incredible standing by me. It's been a hard time, but ultimately I'm completely confident in the evidence I'm going to provide and then the right decision will be made. So there you go, charged with alleged use of racial language. We'll keep an eye on how that one turns out. Uh, I think whatever happens with that case, either side, I think that the fact of education around football and the coaching and, and what we have to remember as well in women's football in particular is that we're we're getting coaches that maybe aren't as experienced and we need to make sure that there is just a level playing field for everyone and, and the education needs to be better. Well, possibly, but but I would counter that with Mark Sampson is not new in the women's game or the men's game. And if he is found to have used racist language, then particularly because of his backstory, he should have known better. But oh, yeah, at absolutely. the moment, we don't know, do we? Uh, let's move on to brighter things then. Next week, we've got that Friday night kickoff between Brighton and Reading. Uh, and then on Sunday, Arsenal take on Bristol City. Everton play Chelsea. Birmingham City entertain Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, Man City play Liverpool at home. And West Ham play Manchester United. Carrie, pick out one of those fixtures that you likey. I'm actually intrigued to uh, see Everton Chelsea. I was going to pick that one too. Oh, sorry. Such good form, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, taking on Chelsea is never going to be easy, but Everton are in in such good form. They've, as we said, we've got they had the trio of wins on the bounce. They're not going to be too too frightened, I don't think. And I I think again, playing at home is going to be an advantage for Everton because Chelsea aren't used to not having people watching them. I'm slightly interested as well in the in the Birmingham Spurs match in the sense that Spurs have obviously had a disappointing result. Birmingham really need a win from somewhere. So is this their best opportunity at the moment to try and um, take on a team that's morale will be low? Mm. Well, it's all very exciting. Let's have a quick game of play your cards, right? Are we going to see more or less goals at the How weekend? quick is this game of play your cards right well, going to be? It's just a simple question. Will we see more or less goals than this week? That isn't how play your cards right works. It's higher it's or, lower. or lower. Okay. Are we going to see a higher or lower amount of goals than this week? We're going to exclude the Continental Cup from this equation. But in the WSL, are we going to see a higher amount of goals or a lower amount of goals? Lower. Lindsay Hooper. Oh, well, Arsenal, if they're listening to our no, podcast. I'm just looking for a straight higher oh, or lower. <laughs> uh, lower, just, <laughs> just lower. Okay, there we go. And you were probably going to say that that was a call to action for Arsenal, That was right? a call to action for Arsenal. Also, I can see Manchester United scoring quite a few against West Ham. 
Oh, well, I, I, I don't know. I think there has to be a game where West Ham start to turn it around. Whether they can do that in the time is another thing. All right, so we'll wait and see. Uh, you can get in touch with us on social, Lindsay. You can. It's at Offside Rule Pod. There's also a website with lots of women's football content on there. Go and enjoy it. It's OffsideRulePodcast.com. We've got to say a big thank you to Carrie. Her book is out. Remind us of what it's called and where people can find it. It is called The Pride of the Lionesses, The Changing Face of Women's Football in England. Available now in all good bookshops and some bad ones. Might I add as well, Carrie, perfect Christmas present, a nice stocking filler. Absolutely. And also, can I, if I put in this little plug, if you tweet me at Carrie Sparkle, you want a signed copy... And um, we can sort that out as well. Oh, so just well let me know. Done. Yes, and that we had be really three good. competition winners here of Carrie's book who are all as pleased as punch. They tweeted me. It was lovely. So I'm glad you're enjoying the book, guys. I think we've run out of time for this, but I know we had a couple of new reviews for our podcast, the WSL edition. So thank you, whoever submitted those. We'll read them out next week. Any more as well. Five stars, wherever you get your podcast on iTunes. Give us a little review. It would be lovely to hear from you. Your reviews mean the world to us and they also help us spread the word of women's football. So please get in Involved. All right, we're going to say goodbye, 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 <laughs> bye, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs>